This is News File. It is your most authoritative news analysis platform. This morning, uh, sorry that I disappoint you that I do not have a take. My regret for that. Now, <clears throat> on Monday morning, listening to Professor H. Chrissy Prempe explain and educate on conflict of interest. I decided to write about conflict of interest. Then soon, our production got me to understand that we'll be discussing that matter this morning. So I'm unable to speak on it by way of my take. Then, by, was it Thursday? I got to write about what happened in Kumasi. Then shortly, <clears throat> I got to learn again that We'll also discuss that. And there's a setting embargo too on me personally, so I'm unable to do that for now. All right, so thank you very much. Now, let me uh, get you to meet my guest as we begin the matters that we seek to canvas for you this morning. But before we do that, um, let's go straight to the Ashanti reading and begin with listening to um Akwesi Adai um, Odike, who is in trouble now and presently is in hiding, he tells Joy News, because his life is in danger. His office was attacked and ransacked, and police are investigating that matter because of certain comments he made on a radio station there. We will look beyond just that story and ask questions about recent developments. In Adar, there was a similar situation where the chiefs prohibited a radio station almost from participating in coverage of the festival there. Before that, in Wa, there was the public flogging of, you know, a couple, so to speak, in front of a palace, a chief's palace. Why? Because they claimed that they were making sure that a particular tradition and culture was not, as it were, desecrated. So where are we going? Where will we see the next group of chiefs or traditional leaders 
begin to sort of give out sanctions in the face of national laws that are against the conduct. Let's listen to ODK and then we will return. Environment na yawono. Nana, sedi nina sayaye nyababi, yebe uye timi usomu. When the last tree dies, the last man dies. And now, if officially you are not on prema, Obia may get them say, "Oh, the territory." But every morning, yes, you are now. Politicians are not going to say officially. I know, Mister Revolve, at this and Chuma, man, so officially you are not going to say, "Me important, me important." I'm going to get them say, "I admire this so much." What can man you hear? Must have bought your official and it's a dear moya a sentiment. Yeah, we are going to money a man of four casa. No movie move film, but I didn't move a movie. Kayan could do a year. I will as I was about quite a good point of my it's an unmoved person. I'm a man you buy a mobosa. Yes, I said you would say, Yaria pa, a son, and a Nazupo, I decide, Yadiska, Mopano, Mopadia, Yadi. Ah, it's your sepa, it's a benoit, Yadia Rasha Mutiawain. When you gratitude, as I said, my Shasaman Soria, Miss Teddy demonstration, Tiamo. Someone you move Yaka, the Apostle Kanko, Yabut. Eh, yes, yes. As someone was my uncle, Makanamu. I want to die for Ashanti. It's okay. It's getting emotional. Listen to me. I bring an NDC what power. Papa, no, I go so my No, last commission will cry. Me call Rocco in Dincomo. I don't know. 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 Um, yeah, about the redevelopment plan will come. I if you are um, came a focal body to body, you know, yeah, Baba, yellow, so for near the amount of this moment, you see high rise buildings. Sabaya, Massiba said, and crying. I'm for by Omar as a summer and him for I'm a what to take Oka a Yamia as a summer papa. Oh, I don't want to talk about the and we see that basa. A bank of the project, you are Janess in the Mabula Mutia Mutia. A member about a project to back my own house. Goes and Benvora and Piscaco, Umu Pesca, and Afumafa, and all do I want Sasomi Bakuji to two hundred thousand dollars. Come on, say yes. Go and ask. I'm at my hideout anyway. You are at a hideout? Yes. Okay, you were asked to apologize. Are you willing to apologize? They have to rescind their function, and I can get uh, the opportunity to go before them and render the apology. Or your PFM has been directed by the council to shut down. How do you respond to that? You must all condemn it, honestly. No matter the circumstance, they are fighting the democratic um, principles. <laughs> And the 
DCEs as chairpersons of district security council should be held directly responsible for situation of illegal mining within their respective districts. They should ensure that in collaboration with the regulatory authorities, small-scale mining is effectively monitored so it is done in compliance with the required practices and regulatory framework. And, illegal, and then illegal miners also can be stopped. On my part, I have already warned my chiefs and elders against participation in such illegalities and will not hesitate to strongly sanction any such infraction. Already I've had reports about something's happening in Amancia and uh, uh, the Formna area. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be investigating that to see what's happening. The need to actively involve traditional authorities in this effort is absolutely imperative for they continue to be the custodians of our communities across the country. We should go beyond paying lip service to traditional authorities as custodians of our communal land and seriously and actively engage them in this collective crusade. For example, the current system whereby licenses for concessions are given up before consulting traditional authorities is dysfunctional and must be revised. It is my considered view that it will be most prudent to consult traditional authorities before licenses for concessions are given out. Does it not make a mockery when the Constitution says the minerals under the president is in charge of the minerals uh, on the earth? But when you're going to mine the, the mineral, you go through the land that belongs to the chief. So why doesn't he have a right to know who is doing that? Right. So you heard the Akwesi Ade Odike. You also heard the Asante Hene the second. My guest, Professor H. Kwesi Prempe, Executive Director of the Ghana Center for Democratic Development, CDD Ghana. Isaac Adungo is MP Borga Central and Member Finance, Trade and Industry, Trade, Industry and Tourism Committees of Parliament. He's right here in the studio. And George Sapong, Executive Secretary, the National Media Commission. I'll begin right away with George Sapong. Uh, thank you so very much for making time to join us. In the course of, um, in a, a couple of months now, the NMC is being blamed by many for inertia, lack of uh, proactivity in ensuring that certain things are done to avoid uh, the media, as it were, suffering unlawful conduct on the part of uh, traditional authority. What do you say to that charge against the NMC? Yes, please unmute your mic. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Thank you very much for the opportunity. 
And I think that I would want us to start from the beginning, as the joke goes, that we are set up by the Constitution and uh, our work is grounded in the Constitution. If you look at Article 167, it enjoins us to uh, address concerns by or against the media. What that means is that anytime there's an incident, there's a theoretical possibility that any of the parties may come to the National Media Commission. So we put ourselves in a conflict of interest situation if we jump into the matter ahead of time. And so we have to be very cautious how we deal with this. The second part is that from the same provision, we are to investigate, mediate, and settle complaints. Samson, you, once the Constitution enjoins us to meet, uh, uh, investigate, we necessarily have to investigate. And so when an incident like the Masawanda just mentioned happens, we cannot rush to make any conclusions until we have investigated the matter. The next critical thing is that we have to mediate. And uh, as a mediator, you undermine your integrity and your capacity to mediate between the parties. Again, if you run in to make statements that sometimes could be prejudicial to the process. So it is our encouragement to all those who look at these issues to understand the context of our operations. But ultimately, what we also want to assure the people of Ghana is that in all the instances that you mentioned, it is our intervention that has ultimately resolved the issues. Is that to understand you to mean that as we speak, you have been mediating the matter in, in Adda. People have been very unhappy about the manner in which the community radio station is being treated. Uh, the, the station was attacked in the first place. Uh, there was some vandalism there. Some of their you know, um, staff um, were assaulted. And then subsequently, we heard of the news also that one of um, their reporters had been arrested by police for uh, publishing, as it were, false news, so to speak, um, because the company, uh, McDonald's company, involved in the SALT project there, which there's a section that has issues and questions to ask, is the one that has lodged a complaint. Now, the, the concern is that the chiefs, appear to be acting in support of the company when the mineral resource there, they are supposed to be sort of some custodians of those resources for the people. And then comes the, the festival, and they are told not to show up in their, in their, in their uh, you know, stations branding and will not be granted any interviews among others. The Ghana Journalist, Journalist Association, among other people, have been calling on you to do something about that. Yes, we, and uh, we've been doing a lot of things in this regard. But, the, of course, I mean, once it, uh, public discussions begin, one must 
In the case of the ADA, uh, Radio ADA, let us first acknowledge that Radio ADA is not like any other radio station within the context of Africa's uh, media development and democratization. So they occupy a particularly unique place mm. in the history and development of the media. And so such an iconic institution demands greater support. So when this incident happened, it was Professor Gajeko who first drew my attention to the matter. So I immediately placed a call to Mrs. Kwame, who is one of the key co-founders. Mrs. Kwame put me in touch with the leadership of the radio station at the time. The very next morning, I dispatched officers to Ada to talk to the radio station and to speak to members of the community. So for the entire week we were in Ada, by the time we were concluding our basic investigations, there were inconsistencies in the narratives that were obtained from different actors within the station. So we encouraged them to submit a formal report detailing out their understanding of the issue. The matter, I think, happened on January 13 or thereabout. From that time, we never received the report from the station. On February about 18 or thereabout, we, the Ghana Community Radio Network held a program at the uh, Erata Hotel, where I happened to be a speaker together with Professor Kekari and a few others. I took opportunity of that meeting, and this time, by this time, the matter had happened like more than a month, and we still had not received the report from the radio station. So at that public forum, I repeated my call on the station to submit a report, detailing the things out, because as I've already indicated, our own investigations had produced inconsistent uh, narratives that we needed to reconcile. It would take another two or so months before the radio station would submit the report to us. So if you see a long delay in that process, from our side, we think that we did everything that was necessary to have had a very quick and effectual resolution of the matter. Meanwhile, whilst we are trying to get the radio station to produce this report to us, there are some of the community leaders make a complaint to us making certain allegations against the station, which complicates the issues. And so we begin the investigations into that. Samson, a few weeks on, some of the witnesses who had originally volunteered to give us information and had volunteered some information now begin to backtrack and withdraw their consent to be part of the process. So that is how the matter gets complicated. Our view is that if we had received speedy cooperation from the radio station at the moment when the matter happened, perhaps we would have been able to address that very quickly. Now, talking about uh, Oyeripa FM and the, the Kumasi incident. Mm. Be, be, before that, so ADA, okay. ADA is, remains unresolved. Just a couple of weeks ago, the GJA also spoke suggesting that they needed to work with you to try and mediate the situation. Uh, the journalists, their lives clearly in danger. They have been exposed by the traditional authority, and it certainly doesn't bode well for them to continue to be able to work there. And they are doing 
uh, what you call volunteer work. I, I completely agree with you. And there are levels of complication of the uh, Adan issue. The, the, the complication regarding the basic resource of the people that's on law has its own dynamics. And we strongly believe that those dynamics need to be unrivaled. And the, in doing that, the radio station has a major contribution to make. As I have indicated, the community leaders have also raised concerns about what they consider as insightful content against the radio station. We are still investigating certain aspects of it and will be reaching out to the radio station very soon regarding that. We think that there are about three or four elements in that issue. It may take a little time to untangle. Some of them are not necessarily matters for National Media Commission to address. But because they feed into the causes of the conflict between the parties, we necessarily need to address them or bring them, and that involves other institutions. So this is, uh, as far as we understand the situation with Radio Adam, some of the issues regarding the journalists and all, we have only read in the media they have not, and Samson, you know, for us working from the National Media Commission, we know for a fact that there are inaccuracies in media reports. And therefore, anybody working with media reports ought to be very cautious. So we require detailed, accurate information from our colleagues in these circumstances. None of them has brought any of these to our attention and provided any fact or evidence regarding the matters that are in that situation it becomes particularly difficult for us to work mm. so this is where we are regarding okay that so, so, so once again you are not giving up on the matter simply because they have not been cooperative or they have not acted as it were swiftly enough um, and that at certain points eventually some of them are withdrawing and i i'm i'm giving to think that you will suspect that there may be something informing their withdrawal because it will appear that there's a setting intimidation and to continue to be seen to be complainants uh, might cause them some, some reprisals. You don't think so? Uh, I would be very cautious. And, of course, I mean, for you as a lawyer and a human rights person, you're entitled to those uh, considered speculations. But for us as regulators and mediators in the matter, you would agree that we need to exercise greater caution in uh, how we look at those issues. We strongly believe that ultimately we will deal with all the issues. Mm. But our key objective in dealing with it is in addition to addressing the substantive issues between the parties, we also are interested, as enjoined by the Constitution, to mediate and settle the issues, which then guarantee both parties the opportunity to work together going forward. Because both parties have a critical role to play in the development of the Adan community. Mm. They've lived together all this while. They've worked together all this while. They've benefited from each other's support. We believe that their continued working together is in the interest of the Adan community and perhaps the whole of the nation. And we have a responsibility to make sure that that is done. Mm. 
Uh, I, I needed to speak to you uh, for quite a bit to appreciate certain things before I bring in my guests to also share their views on these matters. But it's not only in Ada. We have heard elsewhere, I think in the Nzema area and elsewhere, about how traditional authority has come into, you know, direct conflict with, you know, journalists and operators of, of media. Are you, you know, in control of all of this? Are you involved in trying to do what you say is your work to investigate and mediate? Yes. In all of these instances, we are directly involved. So, uh, in Zimbabwe, for example, I was there together with my deputy and a couple of our officers. We spent, we spent some time dealing with it. We are happy that our mediation has succeeded in not blowing the matter up. And that is why most people would not know. I would want to take advantage of this opportunity to thank Ambassador Cabral very much for that particular incident because he comes from the community. He's a very well-respected community leader as well as a national personality. He led our efforts in that community in meeting uh, the chiefs and people and the owners of the radio stations. I would want to thank Awulai Atibukusu, the paramount chief of Azim, for his cooperation in the matter. I would want to thank Mr. Afeku and... Uh, the family who were also the people on the other side. But there were also a number of uh, key religious leaders in the community who were working actively on the matter. And I would want to take opportunity of this moment also to thank all of them. Post the resolution of that matter, a few other issues have come up that all of us are still involved in helping them to address. So it's been a long running intervention in the Azim uh, and Nzma FM matter. It is precisely because of the effective mediation and settlement that this matter has not become a national, an issue of a national crisis. And in most cases, this is how we approach our issues. Mm. Unless it is particularly necessary that mm. a certain public communication will assist in the mediation in the settlement, we offer the parties an opportunity to work together to bring peace to the community rather than sometimes uh, processes that may sensationalize and escalate the problem. About, about how many of such, you know, similar situations have you been involved in trying to get a redress? At least in this year, we would have been handling about 10. 10 of them. And there are two uh, outstanding, one emerging, and I think that it is only fair to even bring this up. As I speak to you, in Adidome, there is a major issue between uh, the La Radio and the leadership of the uh, community. Again, let me congratulate the chiefs and uh, also to a certain extent uh, show appreciation to the radio station that whilst the tensions exist, both parties are conducting themselves in a manner that has not exploded the issue. But any mishandling of the issues at this stage could explode it. So until those discussions that requires that we share some information with people, again, it is not something that we would have ordinarily put into the public domain. Mm. I want to single out Honorable Gideon Kwaku, former uh, Deputy Minister for Communications, for his support 
in keeping the community peace at this level and to assure all of them that we are not relenting on this issue. We work with all of them mm. to bring peace to the community. Right. Now to Oyepa in Kumasi, and I think it is only fair that I don't put you in the conflict situation because um, I should agree with you uh, that because potentially you may be mediating the, the matter, we should not be expecting you to pass judgments. Uh, but the question now to ask is, where are you in this matter? Yes, so thank you very much, Samson. I can confirm to you that immediately the story broke. We've been in contact with Manchester Palace, uh, the Kumasi Traditional Council. We are in touch with the radio station. We are, as far as we are concerned, we've made considerable progress in addressing those matters. At this stage, the one thing that I would rather I would want to share is that whilst everybody's discussion relates to a snap of a video that's available in the public domain, the matters at stake have, are much deeper than what is being discussed. And uh, we would, uh, without giving too much detail, want to indicate that the National Media Commission has had cause in the last two or so months to write to caution or independent of the issues with Mansia. Our caution had nothing to do with uh, the Mansia police issues. So there are real issues behind this long, there's a long history of engagement between Mansia police and Oripa FM outside the video that everybody is talking about. And that should help to contextualize the particular incident. Mm. But I also want to uh, put into the public domain through your medium that both parties' understanding of what transpired at Manchia Palace is markedly different from public understanding and public discussion of uh, what the issue is about. But ultimately, we are happy that both sides are cooperating with us, and uh, we hope that within the shortest possible time, mm. we will have a resolution mm. of the matter. I, I, in my preparation for this show, have come to understand that uh, this may be the third or fourth time that they are making appearance before uh, the chiefs. But when you look at the issue, this particular issue, and as you say, you are involved and you are hopeful of a certain resolution, um, you should be able to tell the traditional authority that their demand is at least unconstitutional and that they should suspend that demand and allow them to operate whilst you go on and have a discussion. You're not able to do that? I will take up your original offer of uh, protecting me from getting into a conflict of interest situation and prejudicing the mediation process that is going on. Uh, judges, uh, judges, judges gave injunctions and that doesn't put them in a conflict of interest situation to deal with a substantive matter. And you are a senior lawyer, so, so I, I suppose you understand that. The, but they would have, they would have heard the, the, the application fully and the merits of the arguments, and then at the end of it, they would pronounce upon that. We are within the process of hearing the parties on the matter. I really believe that at the end of the process, even if you don't hear us, you will see the effect of our mediation. 
and we really want to encourage all of us. But even before I end, I want to indicate that public interest in this matter is positive in the sense that all of us care about the state of our democracy, the role of the media, the meaning of media independence, the dynamics between uh, media free expression and culture. It, it's engendered some kind of debate that, as far as we are concerned, mm. is helpful, even if to our own source in understanding how we should approach these issues going forward. Okay. Um, let me go to Professor HQC Prempe. Thank you so very much for making time to join us this morning, Prof. And, uh, Prof, what do you, first of all, say about the NMC's posture or posturing as regards these matters? And do you see that there is some trend in which traditional authority is beginning to supplant the constitution and other, you know, as it were, lawful due processes that have to go on? Because you have dealt with, he's spoken about about 10 of such situations. Thank you very much, uh, Samson, and uh, good morning. I am glad, actually, to uh, hear my friend George uh, talk about the various um, behind-the-scenes interventions that uh, his commission uh, has been making in these uh, various uh, conflict situations. Uh, he, he, he happened to have been in my office yesterday. He didn't share any of this stuff with me. I didn't even know he was going to show up here this morning. <laughs> okay. But so, so um, uh, that's the world uh, in these markets. Uh, because co the commission doesn't appear to be in the public eye a lot, I think there is, uh, we make many assumptions uh, about what they're doing. Sometimes we think they are actually missing in action. Not, not, we don't hear about them at all. So it's quite, uh, for me, it's quite heartening to note, uh, to know now that they are actually uh, being quite actively involved. And from everything that George has said, it's clear that uh, he has his hands, uh, uh, his pulse on these matters. So I think it's fine. I, I, I don't have a problem with their posture. Uh, the, the, uh, as, a, as a commission, uh, you know, their role uh, is as clearly uh, as, as George spelled out uh, uh, to mediate, to investigate, uh, and they, I think that they are doing their best under the circumstances. So um, I, I will grant uh, you know, what he said, and I, I don't have much of a problem with it. Yeah, right. the, the, the second, the other question you posed, though, I think is we need to put it, I think, in a much, much larger um, context, as well as really a very uh, a historical context. Um, what we're dealing with here, and it transcends clashes between local traditional authority uh, and local media. Uh, we've seen it uh, flare up in other situations. Uh, Chiefs or traditional authorities have issued banishment orders against certain persons uh, because they don't like uh, who they are uh, in their community. We've had instances of chiefs flogging, uh, you know, giving orders or supervising the flogging of persons in the presence of the palace, uh, public flogging, and, and all those kinds of incidents. There is clearly um, a trend, I think, where we have traditional authority reasserting 
themselves in uh, in the in the public space in a way that makes a number of us uh, somewhat nervous. But I think it's important to put this in, in a, a, the proper historical context that the whole there's a we continue to wrestle with this question of how to contain traditional authority within our modern republican democratic constitutional framework. And I think, of course, the issue has uh, has a lot of history behind it. Before the modern state, the modern Republican Ghanaian state became what it is, um, our traditional authorities were within their traditional jurisdictions, effectively absolute monarchs. We're talking before colonialism. They had all the attributes of a sovereign, they had legislative powers, they had executive powers, they had judicial powers, and the relationships between them and their communities were more of relationship between a sovereign and their subjects. Right? Colonialism put a dent in that, uh, a stop in that in some respects. And then um, when we were nearing the end of the colonial period, if you will recall, part of the discussion and part of the conflict within the nationalist class was exactly what to do about traditional authority in the newly emerging uh, to become soon to be independent Ghanaian states. Uh, one body of opinion uh, felt that they should have a very large role. They themselves felt they were the natural rulers and that if the colonialists were leaving, then essentially sovereign power should revert to them, that it belonged to them before they came and it should revert to them. Of course, much water had passed under the bridge. We had moved from uh, you know, just traditional, multiple traditional chiefdoms and, and, and monarchies to a, a, a state, a, a one state, one States that uh, was now multi-ethnic, multicultural. So the idea of just reverting power back to uh, the previous sovereigns would have been difficult to effect. And then there was another body of opinion that felt, no, I mean, we are going Republican. We are going to be a Republican state. Monarchy will have very little uh, role in this state. And at some point, a political settlement, settlement was reached. I think that political settlement has gone through some modification in the post-colonial period. But essentially, the political settlement was that Ghana was going to be a republic. The sovereign authority of, of the state was going to be unified in this republic. There was going to be only one sovereign. Differency was going to be pre uh, preserved. But what were once absolute monarchs, would become essentially constitutional monarchs within their limited traditional domains. This political settlement meant that uh, traditional authorities, while preserved, lost some of the essential key attributes of sovereignty. They lost legislative power, the power to enact law to govern an entire community of people, that was transferred to a national legislature and such other uh, uh, subsidiary bodies uh, uh, that, as the legislature, would delegate power to, to make subsidiary legislation. Executive authority was also vested in a national executive. 
the uh, traditional authorities were no longer uh, uh, holders of executive authority and did not share that with the, the, the public. Mm. Judicial authority, however, uh, was not, they were not, however, entirely derived, deprived of judicial authority. So when it came to judicial authority, they retained, uh, they were left with some judicial authority in matters of customary law so that they could apply customary law to settle certain, certain disputes, certain matters within their domain to the extent that the parties to it, uh, you know, chose to be subject to that. So matters within mostly, you know, private social relations regarding chieftaincy itself, regarding succession, regarding, you know, family relations, uh, marriage, land, uh, such matters, divorce, inheritance, these things were left subject, of course, to a right uh, to appeal into the regular court system. The state, or we also recognized chieftaincy itself and gave, uh, we created national houses of chiefs, regional houses of chiefs, and the like. And they were also giving state some functions, judicial updating law, and the like. Land was also something that has always been important. Uh, and in fact, in terms of the major success of traditional authority during the colonial period, I think is their ability, the success in preserving their rights to be custodians of the land. Right. So they may have lost uh, uh, the rights of ownership to the minerals in the land and, and the like, uh, you know, after the colonial period and to the modern state. But in terms of ownership of the land, you know, they continue to have to retain their loyal title to, to, to land in some part of the country, at least with respect to two lands. So this has been the settlement, right? And in terms of custom as well, some custom, uh, customs and traditions are like religion, also were also recognized. Traditional communities that had their customs and traditions could, could continue to practice them freely if the people wanted to practice them, if individuals wanted to practice them just like religion, they could practice them but again subject to the constitution subject to certain limitations and the like. So we became, we moved from subjects of multiple, you know, of particular uh, absolute monarchs to become citizens of a Republican state, but we were also free to practice our custom. We were also free to show allegiance to our traditional authority. So I think that is the setup. Mm. There, there may have been some who I think, of course, once you have power, preceding the arrival of the modern states. I mean, certainly you continue, you have memories of your old glory and when you, you controlled the entire land when you had all of those powers, right? So, of course, certain tensions remain. You know, there are certain people who continue to ask for more. Uh, we want more more power returned to the, 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 um, the, the, our old traditional monarchs. There are others who want even more republicanism. So those tensions are great, right? And I think every now and then you see that flaring up. But I think what we begin to see more and more lately is really certain assertions of power that clearly go beyond the political and constitutional settlements that have been reached between the republican states that we have in our traditional monarchies. And for me, it is... The absence of states is the fact that the state in these matters 
right, appears not to accept to be asserting its sovereignty. So when these things happen, the state tends to be like a bystander. It's like a spectator looking on as these things happen. And it's almost like, you know, when when somebody is contesting your power and you are not doing anything to 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 hold the line and to say no, this you are crossing this line, you know, at gradually, gradually and gradually, uh, you know, it's not like they were adversely possessed, but that's pretty much what it appears mm. that over time as the state remains silent and says nothing about these accretions of authority that uh, uh, we are seeing from the traditional realm, from the, from the uh, uh, local constitutional monarchs, uh, which they are, then you will see that the line becomes very blurry, the line is shifting more and more in favor of traditional monarchies. And because they have community legitimacy, because they have social legitimacy locally with the people, when the state does nothing to draw the line, then you see that we are moving more and more towards, you know, basically areas of contestation that should not be contested. Mm. And and I so think this is what has happened. What exactly, what, has happened. What, what exactly do you say the state ought to do? You say if the state continue not to say anything. But, Absolutely. But, but there are situations where if chiefs are found or traditional authority um, is found to be breaching the constitution or specific laws, then you use the law to deal with them. We have the, no. lands, we have the land acts, for example, where multiple sale of land is a crime that could be punished with so many years, up to 15 years or more. We, we, we don't have any history of chiefs suffering it, but we know how ordinary members of society continue to suffer when they get engaged in these things. No, I mean, it's, it's you know, so I, I think the point I'm making is that when somebody is taking power that belongs to you as a sovereign, when they are beginning to, uh, for example, impose or pronounce punishment orders, this is essentially a direct infringement on the right of a person or citizen to move freely within Ghana. Its constitution protects it, right? When a traditional authority asserts the old power, old sovereign pre-colonial power to banish people, and the state sits by, sits idle, right? The state power, one of the state's duties, fundamental duties of a state is to protect and secure the rights of its citizens against third parties who may try to take it by force, right? That is why the police, if you feel threatened by somebody and, and uh, I mean, the police can come to your aid. So when you're, when you're a traditional authority exercising what is really pseudo-criminal law powers, law enforcement powers, which they no longer have, right? And the state... The Ministry of Interior, the police, the Attorney General's office. I mean, when the state agencies that are responsible for exercising these sovereign powers on behalf of the Republic say nothing or do nothing, then it emboldens the authority that is claiming to have those powers. It may even legitimize it in the eyes of many people who, are, who may think that actually traditional authority still has these powers. That's what I'm trying to suggest. 
As for the difficulty, clearly, traditional authority is no mean power in our state. It is a substantial power, and they play a significant role at the subnational, uh, local level, and the like. So the difficulty yeah. that the political class might have in mm. reining them in, say, when they even breach the law, I can understand. It's not a very easy power to contain politically. Mm. But what I am worried about is this almost abdication on the part of the state, just looking on as this is happening mm. and doing nothing to say, no, 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 this is not your realm. Is- uh, we will take it. Take, take this matter over and deal with it. This it is not. Is it, is it the case? Is it the case of the state, as in the way I see it now, uh, as far as the executive branch of government is concerned, that uh, gives credence to this your complaint because of their silence in publicly condemning or uh, stating what the right rules may be, as they are enjoined under the directive principles of state uh, policy. Um, is it just that that is your concern? And don't you think also that the individuals themselves who feel that their rights have been infringed, taking up the matters is also one way to go. For example, if you look, oh. at, uh, if you look at the Chieftaincy Act 2008, Section 63 um, says, among others, it is headed, setting offenses in connection with chiefs. Mm-hmm. And it says, a person who knowingly uh, a person who d deliberately refuses to honor a call from a chief to attend an issue commits an offense and is liable on summary conviction to a fine of not more than 200 penalty units that's uh, uh, 2400 cities and then there's a term of imprisonment of not more than 10 months it took one individual Nana Ejei Ampofo, to go to the Supreme Court in 2010-2011 to complain that this was an infringement of the pe- uh, people's fundamental human rights and the right of move- freedom of movement. And the Supreme Court clearly struck this down and said this is unlawful. If a chief invites you and you don't honor it, you have not infringed anything. So people can also take it on. We are talking about a situation, for example, where the radio station and its managers are happy to comply with the orders of the of the traditional authority. Yes, but we have to be realistic here, right? So let's say uh, in in this ODK case, right? So the traditional authority says you are you are banished from uh, our territory. You can't come to your hometown in our city, right? And then Odika says, oh, you have no right to do that. I'm going to defy you and come. And then some uh, community members feeling, feeling obligated to, uh, you know, to show support for allegiance to the traditional authority, mobilize and inflict harm on him. Mm. Right? So I, I think that the, the, what we have to be realistic when we're dealing with authority of this kind. Clearly, chiefly authority is powerful. It has considerable local legitimacy. There are many adherents of tradition who see it as sacred and who will do a lot of things in defense of that authority. Mm. So the expectation that a lone individual who now faces the might of this authority 
should every every lone individual should be able to stand up to them and say, oh yes, said it, but you know the constitution says otherwise, and therefore I'm going to walk into my house. You can't do anything. Or, I mean, it's not a realistic expectation, right? Yes, the court avenue is there, right? The judicial avenue is there to vindicate that that kind of right, mm. but it takes time also. But I think education is also there. The state authorities don't have to wait for everybody to go to court. Not everybody is even aware of their rights. Not everybody is even aware of the case you cited. Not everybody is even aware that you can actually challenge something like that. So if the state authorities themselves know, can as the NMC has done, right? So the NMC is a state commission uh, that deals with a particular part of the job when it clashes with other people's interests. As George has educated us, in these matters, they have made certain interventions quietly. He's even mentioned that they made interventions with Mencia and the like, mm. right? So state, some state authorities can enter this picture. Uh, the Ministry of Interior, we even have a Ministry of Chieftaincy, I, I understand. That's right. You know, we have an Attorney General, a Ministry of Justice. All of these can weigh in privately and say, Nana, uh, unfortunately, this one crosses the line. Uh, can you call your people to order? This is not something that they have the power to do. You know, there are ways in which you can do it without either naming and shaming them publicly or making them lose face. But there are, there are these kinds of interventions that the individual cannot, doesn't really have access to. And we shouldn't burden that individual with always go to court, right? When, in fact, there are very low-cost ways of resolving these things peacefully if the state were to intervene at the right time. So I, I, I think that, you know, the balance the Constitution has struck is fine. It may not be comfortable for some people. Some people might want, might, might, may want a rebalancing of the division of labor between the, I mean, authority between the Republican uh, unitary state we have and the, and the traditional monarchies. That's fine. If you have that, you can make a proposal for constitutional reform. We can all discuss it as a country. Should we give more roles to, to chiefs? Should we give less? And in fact, somebody can make a case. But look, the states doesn't even have the capacity to reach the entire country. So maybe some small, small additional functions can be given if they are properly regulated. All of these things are there. If you believe this is what we should do, make a case for it, and let's debate it, and let's have a constitutional reform. Mm. But to actually arrogate to yourself you know, the power to basically overstep the constitutional limits because you have a considerable local support, I think really is borders on, on abuse of power. And I think we should not encourage it, right? So for me, this, right. is, this is really a bigger challenge mm. that we must wrestle with. Not to forget also that the problems with the media are huge. Right. The media, if you listen to the media, I mean, you listen on radio, and including especially the local language radio stations, mm. this is almost like, at the Wild West, it's like mm. the free for all. Mm. Anything goes. Some of the things you hear on it just shock you sometimes. All right. right? Mm. You know, and and so I believe mm. that you know there is definitely you know a conversation to be had about mm. what exactly it is that we are allowing uh, uh, the, uh, some of these radio stations uh, to get away with. And mm. some people who think that that kind of of free market needs to be regulated and that nobody is doing it effectively enough, mm. 
then we'll, we'll jump to the support of traditional authority and say, at least they are doing something. At least they are drawing the line. Right. So I think that there are multiple uh, dimensions to this issue, but I think we, okay. we really need very dispassionate. Uh, perhaps my, to, yeah, to perhaps my very final question to you before I bring in uh, my guest in the studio, the Honorable uh, Isaac Adongo, uh, to also say something briefly, comment briefly on this, before we go to um, the... Matters of conflict of interest, the OSP's focus on the ports, um, among others. They, there are those who say that the expectation of the public, and I've read many people suggesting that it is the, the state, as represented by the executive president, the president that uh, people like your good self, Raymond Atuguba, and other scholars uh, call an imperial president. It is um, the expectation you have of them, even though also imposed on them by the Constitution to do, you will not get it because they, the way they treat you know, um, chiefs out of fear, more particularly for electoral reasons, um, you are not going to get them to, to tell them you are doing something wrong. Um, unless perhaps that chief um, doesn't command so much and so they can afford to take that risk. Um, we are told about, for example, the Right to Information Bill 2016. That was supposed to be passed. In that bill, there was a provision to make the law applicable to chiefs so that quote-unquote, the subjects, the communities, can file right to information requests. So chiefs can account for how they manage their lands, royalties, among others, because we know how they sell lands indiscriminately and how clearly it's open secret that they dissipate so much, and particularly where there are royalties to be earned, they don't seem to be accountable to anybody. This particular provision we understood was one of the reasons the law was never passed. And then eventually when the law was passed, that provision had been removed because the chiefs had threatened that if this was passed and they were subjected to right to information requests, then the politicians will suffer. So that's the situation. You don't think so, that the political leaders are able to stand up to the chiefs? Uh, we, I understand we had a little problem with uh, Professor HKC Prempe's line. When he comes, he will address that, and then we can move on. But, Abu um, what do you say? Um, and there's a reason I played, you know, Odike's voice on the things that he was advocating for, however emotionally charged, you know, and passionate he was about it. Um, he was talking about, you know, degradation of the environment. You know, we are losing the quality of water. Uh, water bodies are being polluted all over because of Galamse. And he spoke about, you know, sale of lands in a manner that doesn't help. And suggested that if they don't do the right thing, then he will mobilize the youth to demonstrate, which is also a constitutional right, to hold a demonstration against leaders. If you take his comments, 
and that of the Asante Hini himself, his comment, where he clearly pointed out that he knows that some of his chiefs are involved in the Galamse. What did he say wrong? Yeah, good morning to you and to your panelists and uh, to your viewers, uh, particularly my people in Bogotanga Central. Um, I think if you listen to uh, Prof and you listen to the national media man, George, Commission, yeah. the issues have been thoroughly discussed. In terms of what Odike said and what Asantehene said, they basically said the same things, but with different tools <laughs> and on different platforms. And so on the basis of the constitutionality and on the basis of protecting liberties, that conversation has been made very clear already that we have had a transition which is becoming very difficult to strike a balance. But you also have to understand that as leaders in our communities, there is a certain level of expectation on us. Something we believe that the traditional authority represents the moral conscience of our society. And that when things get bad, these are the people everybody asks questions as to why they are not able to exercise that moral authority that allows us to, be, to conform to what is accepted. And so you expect us to at every point in time, no matter our grievances, not to damage that institution. Mm. And that to, not to bring that institution into public disrespect. And so that is even more important when you are a leader. Because as a leader, the society shouldn't see two leaders in conflict with each other. In that respect, I think that Odike is not an ordinary man. This is the person seeking to become the president of our republic. And I expect that there is a certain level of responsibility that he could exercise because he has access to these chiefs. Unless he demonstrates that all my efforts at getting the chiefs to understand these concerns have failed. But to the extent that you, one leader, saying that you mobilize the society against another leader who is more powerful and has more control and authority over the people, creates a certain sense of chaos. So to the extent that the chiefs don't have the right to say they have banished Odike, to say that the radio station should not work, our commentary should not push us to be so emotional as to destroy one of the most important pillars of our society, which is the chieftaincy. And I like the view that the sovereignty of the state rests is, is from the people, but it, is, it rests with the system that we have created through our constitution. And that system must work. So we expect those who exercise that sovereignty to be very quick at being those that ensure that we walk the path towards the realization of the full benefits and intents of the constitution, whilst at the same time preserving this key institution that we have put together within our communities in order to preserve the moral, cultural, and traditional concerns mm. of our people. Do you, do you agree that these 
you know, things that the government through particularly the presidency, the attorney general, as he mentioned, should be done privately um, in a situation where you are seeing more and more chiefs getting into conflict with their people in a manner that is not sanctioned by the supreme law of the land, which is the Constitution. You are getting into situations where the other chiefs come to feel that if this chief is allowed to do this, there are chiefs who have suggested that a chief is allowed to, you know, with the support of the state, impose a curfew on, on a whole, you know, jurisdiction. And they are referring to Kumasi, for example. And guard chiefs want to do something, and you don't want that to be properly observed. And you come and point us to the Constitution. You're joking. We'll not allow that. Then you go up north. You go, you know, to the upper regions. You go elsewhere. And recently, there was a situation. Somebody actually in the Attorney General's department, we understood, a prosecutor, sought to defend the public flogging of those two, uh, you know, guys. Sought to defend it on the basis of what is culture, what is tradition, and that it is the chiefs who have the power to uphold the tradition. And when the person is being criticized, he says, if this, this has happened in Ashanti or somewhere, will you come and attempt to even say you are coming to arrest the chief, you are looking for the chief to arrest, you even dare. So the fear is that it will spread, and then there will now be pockets of chiefs trying to assert a setting rule to punish, to compel, and to punish, and that will go against their own people. So the question is, the people too ought to know that the president or the attorney general or those people that uh, Professor H. Christopher is talking about are doing it publicly and not quietly. Yes, so the, the, what, what, what he says in my position is that if the consequences are penal, it must be penal. Mm. But it doesn't take public utterances to demonstrate that you are cracking the ship. For instance, if a chief is engaging illegally and the community sees that the chief is going through the processes of trap, you don't need to tell anybody. But when it is that you must sit on radio or, or TV and cast aspersions, and often we then begin to draw the whole institution into the conversation instead of that one person that will feel has not behaved appropriately. And then that creates a difficulty. Of course, if the people feel that a particular chief or a particular, uh, 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 what do you call, authority is being treated different from the rest, that is problematic. Mm. That is very problematic. God then, and you know that is going on in this country, yeah, so, and there are people so that, who are very unhappy about I it. I agree with you, but that is problematic because then we are not looking at the problem of the illegality, but we are looking at who is involved. Now, if that is the case, my village may be as small as you think, but my respect for my chief mm -hmm. is unparalleled. That's right. And so if I see you trying to demean my chief because you think that my chief is from some small community, 
Of course, you face the resistance because we will demonstrate that he's with us and we are with him. So I am saying that now that eventually leads to question marks as to whether the chieftaincy institution is even serving our purpose. And I say yes. But it must be done in a way that we take away illegality mm. from the institution. We have, in our political class, people get away with murder because of politics. Okay? People get away with all manner of things because they believe they can place a call to somebody and the legal officer or the law officer cannot work. That is the level of decadence. Mm. And so this is raising very critical questions. And he said, it is not a matter of saying I disagree. If you decide that tomorrow you'll be on air, there are other people who think the same way as you think the chief who is, who, who is, who is wrong. Okay. And will take the law into their own hands. We will address it later, but there may be fatalities. All right. And so on that basis, mm. the state has to, if the person would still go ahead, then the state must protect that person's liberties. And make sure okay. that provision is made in order to enforce that. Now the difficulty is, in the political system, are you now protecting the radio station or you are with chiefs? And that is where the problem comes from. Then we allow this to fester. But I am happy that the NMC is doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Mm. And it's not in the public eye and not taking part in these all conversations but attempting to provide a resolution. And I okay. believe that the Attorney General's Department and the Minister of Chieftaincy ought to have a deliberate program of engaging our chiefs and educating our chiefs and sensitizing them. Because every now and then, new chiefs come on board. And our chieftaincy institution doesn't have clear guidelines on who becomes a chief other than a succession built on whether by birth or by ethnicity or by clan. And so it is possible for anybody at all within that qualification to be a chief mm. without necessarily knowing some of the pitfalls of becoming a chief. And we need to consciously bring them up to speed right. with some of the things <clears throat> that we expect from them. Yeah, so um, the, the difficulty, as you can understand, is that the Supreme Court says that the chiefs don't have that power to compel and to punish so actually, in the Chieftaincy Act in 2008, they provided some protection for the chiefs. And they said that if you act in an insulting manner towards a chief, either by your conduct or by your word, you are committing a criminal offense. How is a criminal offense punished? Is it the person that you have committed the offense against who calls you and begins to whip you, who, calls, who uh, slaughters a ram and declares you banished? The law says they do not have power to punish. So if that is allowed in a section of our community or our country, can you imagine what that will mean, the potential of what that will mean if other places also begin to assert that this is also their tradition, even though the law is against it? Um, oh, but maybe is, so maybe two minutes each concluding comment from uh, Professor... HQC Prempe and uh, George Sapong, and then uh, we, we, we draw the curtain on this matter. Yes, yes what I was you just say? going to say that mm. it comes back to the state because who, who, who wills criminal authority? It is a state. That's right. An individual cannot just go to court on account of criminality. So it is about what Prof said 
that the state asserting its authority will go a long way to eradicate some of these. All right, thanks. Um, Prof, if we can hear you, just uh, two minutes concluding comments, and then uh, Mr. Josh Sapong as well. Please unmute your mic. Yeah, I think I share, I share uh, the, the, the number of the, the views also expressed by the Honorable Member of Parliament. Um, and even to your own question about whether or not we should do this publicly and, and privately. Obviously, if, if, a, if, if a traditional authority or a chief falls afoul of the law in a way, say if the criminal law, for example, in a way uh, that that calls for uh, prosecution, you can't do that privately, right? I mean, so definitely uh, chiefs have been, have been known to be prosecuted in this country. It's not as if they have immunity uh, in the Constitution from public prosecution. So we've known to pros prosecute them. You know, uh, but I think that's one of the interventions, uh, uh, given, given the balance and given the fact that there's still a very important social role that we count on chiefs to play. Uh, many parts of the country, in fact, chiefs are about the only... You know, people really maintaining law and order. The, 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 our policing resources are overstretched, are, are not geographically distributed uh, evenly. And so there are many parts of the country, if you took chiefs out, you know, you really would have quite a bit of anarchy. So there's an, an important social utilitarian function that you're playing and you, you don't want to damage uh, the legitimacy of the institution. But I, I do think that in these matters uh, that are coming up, uh, that is why we have the national and regional houses of chiefs, and we should begin to use them. The state uh, institutions should have conversations with, with these authorities. In fact, we in civil society have even planned some kinds of engagements with national house of chiefs, with the regional houses of chiefs, to deliberate on these matters. I think these are the avenues. And if you do have a, a chieftaincy minister, if you have a ministry for chieftaincy, why on earth are you not using it? in these kinds of situations. I mean, what do you have it for, right? So, so I think there are enough resources in terms of institutions that can handle this. And if we use it appropriately, we will avert uh, a descent into chaos and into, into, into some kind of a slippery slope. Because I do fear that if we don't resolve these things soon enough and we begin to draw the line, and especially when precedents are set, and you made a very important point, when precedents are set in one part of the country, other chiefs and traditional authorities and traditional areas are looking at what the state is going to do or what happened to those cases. And if they see nothing happening, then they will feel also equally emboldened to do it in their parts of the country. And we know we are migratory people. We move around. We settle in other people's traditional areas and the like, and we live our lives there. So you don't want a situation where all of us are subject to all kinds of petty, you know, tyrannies and local despotisms everywhere we go because some chief did it here, government said nothing, and so uh, you can do it, uh, in, in, I'll do it in my part, and your people will also suffer the same consequences in my part. So we need to resolve this uh, very quickly. I think right. the, the kind of application I'm seeing on the part of the state is really, uh, for me, that that is the most worrisome part. The okay. state needs to step in and say no. Uh, this is the balance, and we are going to respect the law. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Josh Sapong. Thank you very much, Samson. I, I, I think that uh, Kwesi has adequately uh, analyzed the issue of the chieftaincy and the media and the governance space. But I think the one thing that I want to add is that 
Whilst today the focus is on chieftaincy and uh, the implications for free expression, I want to broaden the discussion for everybody to see a certain trend. One is that today the chiefs are using their traditional authority to uh, address what they consider as media infractions. We have seen religious leaders do the same. We see the court use their power of contempt to protect themselves. We have seen parliament use its power of contempt to protect itself against criticism. We have seen the military use their military force to address media engagement. We have seen the police. Essentially what this tells you is that there's a certain privatized approach to addressing what people consider as uh, media infractions. What is needed to address this is effective regulatory system that protects everybody and also creates a space for the media to flourish. Until we address this, we are going to see this pattern repeat itself. And the worst that we may see is that individual Ghanaians may also begin to adopt these unorthodox approaches to addressing what they consider as media infractions. And I think we need to centralize this in the discussions as well. Thank you very much. Um, um, George, the, the, uh, last year I spoke to you on the law program, and you were very emphatic about this point of law, that regardless of the infraction by a media house or a journalist, nobody, nobody has a right to exact punishment, including assaults. Is that correct? Yes, the, 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 the point, and the, I'm happy you bring it up, that we need to repeat is that there are, as inadequate as it would look, there are processes for addressing media infractions or perceived media infractions, and that criminal attempt on media does not produce better journalism. It is important that all of us understand this. All right. Thank you so very much. Uh, Mr. George Sapong is the executive secretary of the National Media Commission. And as you heard him, they have been involved in seeking to investigate and mediate uh, some of these uh, growing situations. And they have been dealing with about 10 of them. They have two outstanding and an emerging one as well. You have also been listening to Professor H. Kwesi Prempe, Executive Director of the Ghana Center for Democratic Development, CDD Ghana, uh, who brought us, uh, took us way back, way back to the commencement of uh, what we now call a constitutional, um, you know, democracy or republic, and how they seem to have come to a setting, you know, agreement uh, where the chiefs would belong. And that whatever has to be done, it is subject to the Constitution. And then you've been listening also to Isaac Adongo, who is MP, Bogatanga Central, and member Finance, Trade, Industry, and Tourism Committees of Parliament. Um, he believes that we need the Chief Tenancy Institution. They are useful, but the checks ought to be there, and government also ought to be heard uh, to instruct accordingly to avoid a situation where there will be, you know, like what Prof. H.K.C. Prempe says, getting into a slippery slope where there will be despots all over the place exercising uh, criminal jurisdiction. We'll take a quick break and return to why the OSP 
has its eyes on the ports and whether or not in the process it will not be breaching some people's rights. It does appear the issue of conflict of interest is not completely exhausted. As we understand, Shraj this moment is also investigating uh, a member of parliament who is being appointed to the gender ministry uh, for conflict of interest.